Welcome back to There Will Be Movies. This is a podcast talking about 25 of our favourite movies from A Chosen Decade, Volume 4. Maybe the last one is the 1980s, and this is episode 95, Akira. My name is Matt Waters. I am joined by Ben Phillips, who, when we were laying out the rules to this here podcast, (laughs) among things like nothing that's already been covered, immediately devastating my list... (laughs) Look, you're the one who decided to podcast about movies you like with your other co-host. Yeah, <laughs> sorry. We could have done them better, where you have actual opinions and it lasts longer than 20 minutes. Yes, one of the many... That's Ben, you just heard him. One of the many rules was no animation. Or specifically, no Disney, no Pixar, and no Ghibli. Because all of them were, like, contemplated miniseries. Yes, the Ghibli one really threw me. You wanted to tack Ghibli on as like... No, I wanted to tack Spirited Away onto Pixar. Just right. because I was like... When Ghibli felt like a pie-in-the-sky type thing and then all of the fucking movies ended up on, on Netflix and, and HBO Max in the US. So it was yeah. just one of those things where I was like, oh, this is now a lot easier to cover because all of these movies are readily available and I don't have to ask Matt to go spend a stupid amount of money yeah. to, to obtain a box set. I've also since done watches of all of these movies since we started making these plans. So I've watched every Disney movie, every Pixar movie, and every Ghibli movie since this plan was made in like 2019, I think, Mm -hmm. was like a point when it was on the schedule. And obviously, we drastically reduced how many episodes we released in a year (laughs) after 2020. Yes, the year of putting out an episode every single week on top of Jerome's 100 favourite movies and the other podcasts that existed that year. That was a wonderful year for me. And then, yes, basically, like all of those existed as miniseries ideas. Obviously, Pixar would have been half a year, Ghibli would have been half a year, Disney would have been a whole year if we'd had to, like, shove yeah. some episodes together. Yeah. So they were all, like, very big commitments, which is why they kind of yeah. kept on getting knocked down the road. But I really did want to cover animation mm. at some in some form on this podcast network. I think... I think that has been made clear if you listen to a lot of our stuff that we are big animation buffs big big voice actor nerds etc yeah it feels weird to get to 95 episodes before we have animation i guess now would be the time or forever hold your peace if you could do it differently what are the disney and pixar and ghibli movies you would have pushed for in in, <sighs> in the various decades god like i i would have pushed for kiki's this decade, okay. I I think Kiki's is a is like the the other Ghibli masterpiece. I would have pushed for Porco Rosso in the nineties, okay. um, which I think is a really underrated movie that is like really really in the pocket of like old school Western animation, but being done with an Eastern lens. I think is why that movie ruled. Also, it's about a pig who hates fascists and. Mm-hmm. Who doesn't fucking need that right now? And then obviously, like, Spirited Away, Wind Rises for, for 2000s and 2010s. Oh, God. And then uh, Pixar would be Toy Story 2, Incredibles, and maybe Inside Out. Ah, but no but, sequels. So know, that is true. You couldn't have had Toy Story 2. I probably would have let us do a Toy Story 1 and 2 combo. Yeah, probably. And then House of Mouse. I mean, really, like, the, the era that we would have covered on this podcast is kind of like, apart from the 90s, is the real dire era for <laughs> Disney. So, like, Beat and the Beast or, like, Lion King. Any of those like early Renaissance mm. movies are like what I would push for, yeah. but we'd probably be fighting over which one of those we'd work, uh, do. I quite like Aladdin. I would have gone for Lion King though. I'm a Mononoke guy, which spins kind of quite nicely out of this episode, mm. given some of the people involved in that. Incredibles, I would have met you on, and I don't know. I, I guess it would have depended what the lists were looking like in terms of. Yeah, I mean, Toy Story. I think, I think, I think we both agree that like the biggest one that we missed out in the 2010s was Spider Verse. Yes. 
Like, yeah. I think that is like our big regret of that series. Probably is talk to me did. about regrets and Spider Verse and podcasts. <laughs> Jesus Christ, twenty five minutes where I sound like I don't even like the damn thing. <laughs> Incredible movie, and uh, somehow. I don't know. I don't do well when it's something that's just come out in a theatre and, like, I'm trying to remember my thoughts versus, like, watching at home with a phone out, making notes, that kind of thing. We've only done that, like, twice, and I think we re-recorded one of them. Yeah, and and what, like, and I I think, like, we've we've corrected the record now on Spider-Verse is that there is a Spider-Man ranking on the website, and it is firmly our number... Was it number one or was it number two? I forget if we put Spider-Man 2 at the top of the, uh, the pile. I think it ended up number one because like three of the four put it number one or something like that. Or yeah. it was like number one twice, number two, one. I don't know. Somebody wasn't able to wreck it enough to keep it out of the top spot. <laughs> um, the it's person that put Spider-Man 3 as number one. A fucking but... insane person. Anyway, no, we are talking Akira, or as acknowledged last week, it should be Akira, but Akira. like you just decades of it being called Akira in the West is going to make it a habit, and I'm really sorry okay. if it offends anyone, but it's just it's been called Akira since I was like fucking 11 years old or 10 years old. I don't know something like that. Am I allowed um, to make a hyperbolic statement right now? Well, I mean, it's it's like 7:30 and it's dark outside, so I don't <laughs> see why not. I think this might be the most important year for animation. Ever. I mean, this movie alone is is credited, maybe overcredited, but credited um, with basically launching anime in the West, launching manga in the West. That yeah. alone is quite a big feat. And then you've got what's happening over in the West. Yeah, so I'm just going to run you through some yeah. of the stuff that is happening around this time in animation. Yeah. So number one, this movie. I think this movie is the definitive and probably the go-to thing to point to in terms of adult animation can make money. Because mm-hmm. up to this point, you've got things like Fritz the Cat and right. like these tiny indie things that aren't making much money and are kind of more salacious than they are actually like well-constructed, well-thought-through kind of animation projects. And animation is overwhelmingly seen as the realm of Disney and the realm of like Don Bluth and and it is for kids and if it is for kids and is a little bit scary it's it's kind of like bleeding at the edges around mm-hmm. this kind of stuff tv animation is notoriously incredibly cheap around this point as well in terms of things like it's transformers it's it's basically glorified toy commercials <laughs> and i mean yeah transformers <laughs> in general was in in fact a giant toy commercial <laughs> literally but, that, but, that, but then you have this year where you have this movie come out and obviously this movie doesn't come out for a few years in mm. in the west like it, it is firmly a Japanese movie in 1988, but in the West, which I think is like a, a hugely yes. pioneering piece of animation technique. Yeah, we, we talked that in, yeah, uh, in, in my favourite Zemeckis um, movie. It is truly incredible, and it's also and like it, the first time that Warner Brothers and, and Disney came together to put Bugs Bunny and Mickey Mouse in the same project, which is kind of like a big fucking deal in hindsight, considering how rare that is. Also over in Japan, this is the year where, for some fucking insane reason, Studio Ghibli decided that Grave of the Fireflies and My Neighbor Totoro deserve to be a double feature that you saw in the cinemas. Jesus. Okay, yeah. (laughs) This is the final movie before the Renaissance. Obviously, you can include the Disney Renaissance as being started by The Great Mouse Detective, because obviously that's when Musk and Clements directed their first movie. But this is Oliver and Company, and then 1989 is the year that Little Mermaid releases, and that is just the year where animation just fucking blows up. This is also kind of like the last movie in the Don Bluth Wonder Run when he was like displacing Disney from the top of the pile. So this is Land Before Time, which obviously is coming off the back of... Oh, man. Devastating (laughs) to child, man. This is obviously the third in that, like, Secret of Nim, American Tale, Land Before Time, that kind of, like, three movies 
movies mm. where like they were beating Disney yeah, at their yeah. own game. Then All Dogs Go to Heaven is 1989, which is like they are losing to Disney again, and Disney are like actually fucking trying when they're making these fucking things. They just they, they <laughs> fall asleep every like 15 years, and then suddenly they're like bang three all time. Uh, this class. is also the year that Pixar wins their first Oscar for Tin Toy, which is the basis for mm. Toy Story uh, later on. It is also a fucking yeah. horrifying short. If you have Disney Plus and want to laugh, watch <laughs> that thing because the baby in that movie is genuinely nightmare fuel my partner insisted we watch all of them and i was like yeah i've seen all these early pixar shorts and then i was like oh no i have not seen some of these early pixar shoots and the human work in these things is fucking horrifying and then last one is probably a little series and it goes hand in hand with kind of <laughs> goes hand in hand with this movie but a little series called dragon ball is winding down at this point in time getting ready to reboot as a little tv series called dragon ball z which will also change the face no, of animation never heard of it never heard of it there we go something like that but yeah like there you go six episodes where we talk about our power levels but yeah like just the sea change that's happening in animation and like that was that was me just kind of like seeing my list of movies I've seen from 1988 looking into like what other things were happening and then I didn't even do TV to be honest like I know other stuff is happening (laughs) off to the sides but like if I'm sure if I looked at TV I'd be going like wow like this is the year that like I mean I'm gonna pull one out that's probably wrong like is this the year that fucking DuckTales starts obviously we're a few years away from <laughs> DuckTales starts in 1987, so it is around this time. And then, obviously, animated series Batman is is kind of a few years away at this point. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles yeah. starts in 87. Like, just animation is like really, really fucking bubbling right now. And I think this is a curious like one of those things that you can point to as being like this really changes it for a lot of people. And the amount of people that are working in animation and even working in live action and in music and in just culture in general who point to this as being a definitive touch. Mm-hmm. Is kind of insane. I mean, the Akira yes. slide. And it's why it looked no further. Kind of cool <laughs> at those people who are like, they watch it. Like, and obviously, like, we, we are people in this podcast who have said, like, we are not worshippers at the foot of, like, Iron Man 1 being one of the best Marvel movies. We both think that, like, Captain America First Avenger does what Iron Man 1 does better and, yeah. and all the rest of it. Like, we are, we are perfectly willing to go, like, th- th- just because it's first doesn't mean it's best. But when I see people go, oh, yeah, like, other movies have done what Akira does better, I kind of go, like, mm, have they like there's something so <laughs> ephemeral about this movie that just i i, I yeah. don't know like it it still it still looks oh, yeah. incredible like the the lengths gone to at the time to make it look like this were i don't want to say unheard of but like it it looks fucking great it sounds incredible to this day i, mean, I think more on yeah. the sound <laughs> specifically I think it is in a, a minute but it's an interesting thing because obviously when we think of anime in the west you definitely mm. think of the cheap weekly stuff that's thrown out yeah. on television like the idea of like dragon ball z basically being still like tracking shots of still images yeah. for episodes where they talk about their power levels or you think of like how <laughs> pokemon or speed racer or yeah. all of these things where like the whole idea is you animate less frames by panning across an image mm-hmm. and having like voiceover at the top of it to basically save the anime. Yeah, and just like slightly, I don't know what's the term. You're like, basically you're basically like, animating stuff on, like, twos. is ever so slightly yeah. wiggling around Literally. the edges, kind of thing. Animating on twos. Or, yes. like, and, there you go. If you want to get and, like, really kind of like just it. doing like you're moving a vo- like the mouth and you're just basically replacing these two images with each other. Yeah, and get like you know four episodes out of one story, kind of thing. Really drag that bitch out. One Yu-Gi-Oh duel 
Tolkien last yes. half a season. And, and then you get kind of fun like, stuff. This movie and like what Ghibli's doing. And then sometimes mm. you'll watch an anime and you'll go like, what the fuck is going on? Because they really kicked out all the stops for the animation for this one episode. Like they know that they've got like a big episode to do and they will give you like one of the best animated TV episodes you've ever seen in your life. Like I like I remember distinctly the feeling of like watching Naruto in the in the mid two thousands and like you go from some of the worst animated stuff you've ever seen that's being done on the cheap and then two episodes <laughs> later it's like the most poignant well done animation yeah you gotta really blow that budget out we, for, and you gotta save yourself and, for those I mean, even to even to talk about something that we have spent a lot of our time the last couple of years talking about neon jealousy evangelion which is a show that notoriously like mm. completely blew its budget early on and so by the by the final episode <laughs> is literally like black and white sketches there is unfinished footage in the in the finale of ava and and like animatics i think are used at one point which is the like very rough draft almost a storyboard version of of animation i think they have since no they left it um it's in like the rebuild stuff they kind of recreated it but in a not yeah we have the time and the money to do it like where we can make it look look like it's kind of sketched but it's actually done with like time and effort put into it However, like, very few things have ever fucked harder than, like, the very first reveal of the Ava units and, like, all of the... And, you know, you said Akira's influenced everything, but, like, there is, like, one-to-one of the, like, the laborious giant industrial infrastructure of the facility underneath Mm -hmm. the Olympic Stadium compare that to like the ava units and the underground bases and stuff and like i was thinking like i don't very often see those like elevators that are literally just like a flat platform in many things outside (laughs) of anime yeah and hideo kojima fucking (laughs) loves them every metal gear solid has a giant like fucking cargo lift or something like that especially the ones that go down on like an incline instead of like straight up and down i mean Um, but even even this year like nope has an akira slide in it Yes, I, I gather that, yeah. I'm Ready Player One obviously had one in, and my partner's brother did the Akira slide in uh, in Ready Player One, or, like, you know, helped make it look better. That's cool. Yeah, the Akira slide, like, there's a, there's a GIF somewhere, where, and it's not even all of them. It, it's, like, ten Akira slides back to back to back to back to back. They're fucking everywhere. They're in Batman the Animated Series, quite notably. Uh, in Robin's Reckoning, Robin does an Akira slide. Batman Beyond, as a general concept, is massively influenced by Akira from the look of Neo-Gotham versus Neo-Tokyo. The fucking biker gangs. In Akira, you have the clowns. In Batman Beyond, you have the Jokers. Obviously, they're taking some heavy influence from the little character called the Joker from Batman, but, like, there is a Joker in the Akira manga who doesn't make it into the movie. You even have, like, somebody who worked on Akira, specifically the section with the soul... The space lasers, orbital mm. rigs, whatever you want to call them. That sequence where, where those start firing. They worked on that, and then they worked on the movie Return of the Joker, which has a similar weapon, and they said they wanted to top their work in Akira. <laughs> <laughs> so you have this like giant laser like shredding Neo-Gotham, and Terry running away from it, and it rules. It's so hard to like convey accurately just like how incredibly influential some of these movies mm. we cover are, and this is like arguably as influential as anything has yes. ever been. So yeah, I don't want to like understate it, but we'll be here for I'm just imagining being like an animator it. at like Disney or whatever who watches this movie and just being just <laughs> like, being completely fuck fucking blown that? away. I'm also now watching like a two minute clip of literally just Akira slides and there are so like the the literally the first <laughs> reference point of one of them is Batman the animated series where like Robin does an Akira yeah, slide. I think it was one of the the first ones because that episode won their first Emmy as well. Not Heart of Ice. 
Oh, I did not win a proper. Maybe M. that was the Emmys going um, on a daytime one to, to Akira. <laughs> no, I think it's like the movie thing where it's like, mm, that Heart of Ice won a daytime Emmy and everyone's still talking about it. We'll give Robin's Reckoning a, a prime time. It's so Emmy funny how go. subtle some of these are because, like, even the one that's just come up for, like, Luca, yeah. like, it's, it's all the compositions mm-hmm. are identical to Akira, though. Oh, yeah. That's why it works as a gift because it's, like, it's one to one. It's not, like, just the general concept of pointing the camera at someone sliding a bike. You can, you can see but it's, it it's one of those things that is it's one of those things that you same. can throw in as an animation nerd and like you probably get away with yeah. it if someone didn't realize because they like, you wouldn't realize that the composition or the rest of it is being done in in that way and it's such an innocuous moment yeah. in the movie too it rules like it's cool like they they go to great lengths to make Canada and the whole like the biker gang and his red bike specifically seem like the fucking dopest vehicle in the history of movies but like it is just a throwaway moment <laughs> In amongst a two-hour epic, and it's become this for a generation of people. Just it just blew minds. So yeah, it is directed and co-written by Katsuhiro Otomo, who wrote the manga of the same name. I have never read it. It is like two thousand pages, six volumes. He didn't finish it until after he did the movie. And in his own words, it was a terrible idea to make the movie before having finished it. I know the broad strokes, but have never read it. I know that like for the first sort of two and a bit volumes, it's it's relatively yeah, like- similar to Akira. You have Tetsuo like joins and leads the the clowns and stuff like that, but it's it then massively diverges where we've got like two warring factions who are occupying Tokyo, Neo Tokyo or the remains of it for the entire second half, and that to me all sounds <laughs> bad. I mean, that's the thing is it, it's all really interesting because <laughs> it really is the first two the two part the first two parts are very similar, like almost like one to one. Like the first part ends with the laser satellite severing Tetsuo's arm like it does in this movie, but the big the big thing that changes mm-hmm. is that Akira is actually inside the cryogenic chamber. Yes, he's not in many. Jars, he is the, the little yeah. boy. But is then, there. And then you basically and, get kind uh, of like three volumes of like character development and all this stuff going on. And like, because obviously there are bits in this where you can tell that there are like more story elements like floating around, especially with K. There's K for one thing who is like just that lady that the Canada cracks onto and then she gets possessed and then she's like <laughs> the second main character. Basically. And like in the, in the, in the, 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 the end of the like, movie, that like she's the most important character in the world because she's developing the psychic powers that will like be beneficial to humanity. Yeah rather than whatever's going on with with all the rest of the experiments yeah and you've also got like i'm surprised they even included it as an element but um nezu Mm. and the whole like the resistance and and the corruption element going on there it's never (laughs) if you have only seen the movie it's hard to actually understand what is even going on there and i'm surprised they included it to be honest because it feels like you stripped so much of this out with the story of like the resistance and and the the he's the leader of the opposite political party that are in power and all of that and then you just you just smash to like him betraying them all it's like oh, oh okay. yeah and give him like a death that scene thing is, like, and for, for, as like rushed this movie is there are some things that are very like very thinly sketched that are kind of like entirely kind of getting yeah. by on the pure vibes and how good the animation is and like you know Artomo like he had been burned before by his work being adapted and, and didn't like he, he basically 
insisted on full creative control so he got to write the whole thing he got to direct it so like these Mm. are all his choices he has said many times many of the choices were wrong but he made them so like it's not like somebody bastardizing his work or anything like that just he just it's a difficult thing to especially as it didn't have an ending to transliterate i wonder what it was like because the ending the ending for the manga is very similar to to the film obviously it's like years later and there's more and there's more stuff going on but it is kind of like they're they they do an assault on the stadium there's like the giant biological attack that turns tetsuo into like a giant fetus it ends with (laughs) like the the same thing where like they disappear into a new universe like like all of that is very similar and obviously when you're if you're reading the manga and you've seen the movie you probably go oh okay like it does come to the same kind of conclusion point with like yeah the the ending he thought up while making the movie did end up kind of being the the ending he stuck to you watch george R. R. Martin <laughs> change who becomes king of uh, of westeros and nobody caring in 15 years he's he's three quarters um, of the way through the book is he oh well, i feel that's been true since we met <laughs> Shall we do some acclaimed movies from this year? Yes, uh, let's so do Deca- that. Do they get more well, acclaimed than came out this year, which is uh, kind of a cheap because okay. it's kind of a TV series. Oh, right. It's the, it's the it, Twin Peaks. At, at least this day. one's a mini-series. At the benefit of the doubt to this one, Twin Peaks is the third season of a television show that has also had a movie released as part yeah. of like the ongoing narrative. Decalogue is a contained yeah. piece of work. Um, you've also got My Neighbor Totoro, which is the most acclaimed mm. anime of this year. I do prefer Akira, but then you've yeah. also got uh, The Thin Blue Line, Cinema Paradiso, Distant Voices, Still Lives, Dead Ringers, Die Hard, Grave of the Fireflies, Akira is on this list, The Last Temptation of Christ, Dracula, They Live, a good mm. solid year, lots of like genre stuff in particular, like genre stuff and a mm. lot of kind of like intellectual international cinema. Some people erroneously put They Live <laughs> at number one of uh, John Carpenter's over, which means eggs. That's a John Mulaney joke, I probably shouldn't make those anymore. Anyway, Akira just... Colossally, colossally popular any, and influential. Is there any country said. in the world better mm. at putting the collective psyche of a nation into its art? No, yeah, fair point. I think, I think, and specifically, yeah. well, I mean, also Godzilla. Think, like, Gojira like, is obviously like the ultimate po- example yeah, point of yeah. this, which is literally like what it's made ten years after the bombs were dropped on them, and just like the the yeah, here's a nuclear powered lizard <laughs> destroying cities. <laughs> And we have angered the planet and this, that, and the other. Back when films weren't political, there has been much written about the themes and the messages of Akira. Very clearly still that lingering trauma of nuclear war as as small children blow up cities left and right, including the opening, which is the release date of the movie, <laughs> I believe. I'm saying the date of World War Three. And then we cut to uh, 2019. It didn't go like this as far as I know. They did have the Olympics, though. Japan did host the Olympics. I mean, yeah, that's an easy thing. We know when all the Olympics are going to... Oh, wait, but they They didn't know know back then. They'd be hosting that far out. Jesus, okay. And they also didn't know it would be... The 2020 Olympics would be held in, like, 2021. (laughs) But, you know, COVID. And that opening immediately establishes one of the coolest elements of the goddamn movie. They love silence. Mm. And this is one of the few movies I've seen in a cinema, like, not in its release window, obviously. I was born a year after this. I went to see, you know, it was just playing uh, in, a, in a local cinema, and I was like, I'm going to go fucking see Akira on a giant screen with an audience. And let me tell you, every one of those, like, we're going to go dead fucking quiet for, like, three seconds and then suddenly bring the sound back in, <laughs> fucking ripped with an audience because you can feel everyone's collective breath being held and then suddenly... Oh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's like one of my favourite moments in a cinema in, like, the last decade was the Last Jedi scene mm. of them 
crashing the oh, crashing the ship yeah. at light speed. Like, yeah, the best scene in any Star like, Wars. On the opening <laughs> night of that movie, everyone being like so jazzed and like the silence of that scene deafening everything. And then I think there was an yeah. applause break after it happened. Okay, obviously, obviously. But yeah, they, they go to this trick over and over again. They lean heavily on the music, which is apparently it's Indonesian and also... Again, apologies for mispronunciation. No, or N-O-H, no mm. uh, music. But yeah, it's a lot of like chimes and, and, and chanting and, and that kind of stuff. And uh, yeah, it, it fucking rips. And uh, every moment of, of Tetsuo's escape where you don't even see up close how he's doing it, you just see like the end of a corridor and just the lights go out and there is a spray of bodies on the floor, on the ceiling that used to be standing and talking to him and you just get the music playing and... It's so powerful every time, and like it's kind of an assault on mm. the senses in a good way, in terms of the audio especially, and pairing it with relatively calm images. And then also there's some of the most fucked up shit you've ever seen in the images, when Tetsuo starts to absorb everybody into a amorphous blob, becoming the amoeba that they liken him to. <laughs> I guess we, we just start at the top, and as I said, like you know, it opens with, the third world war and then a new to- neo tokyo was built artificially and everyone has abandoned the old city and we just just hoodlums tend to go to the old city such as our protagonists who are just a bunch of dirtbag bikers who uh yeah we have the capsules and the clowns and uh canada's sick bike is made much of straight away his giant red monster that apparently can't go below 5000 rpm even when changing gears, as Tetsuo finds out, which is ludicrous. And it rules, oh, something we should get out of the way straight away. Obviously, subs versus dubs is is a much debated thing. I'm generally a... I was going to say I'm generally a subs person because I put subtitles on most things I watch. I mean <laughs> I am a, a dubs person for, for anime because I like to be able to glance at my phone for a minute, you know? Like, it's, we're a bad generation who should pay attention more, but that's reality. I want to be able to look away for, like, a second without making it last four hours because I have to keep pausing. So I did watch dubbed. I gather you watched subs. I watched dubs. So between us. We've had that complete yes. experience. And I, to be clear, I have seen subbed yeah. as well. I've, I think I've seen this movie five times, and I would say three times in English, twice in Japanese. So I'm, I'm familiar. And obviously, subbed is better. Japanese voice actors try harder. Yes, I think there are some very good dubs of anime. Yeah. But I do think there is yeah. an issue, especially in the culture around the purity of Japanese media that exist in the West, mm-hmm. that kind of get mm. overly defensive. <laughs> they get overly defensive <laughs> of this stuff and get overly defen- like get overly yes. offended by creative decisions that are made by other people. And obviously, this isn't to say there aren't... You changed one of the words. You are spitting I mean, in the face of a tomahawk. The fun thing <laughs> is, is when you... Being someone who used to watch like fan subs and the edgelordiness right. of some of the swear words that are thrown into these sentences and you're like, this is a thing for kids. Have them say cunt. <laughs> it's so bizarre and so jarring is that sometimes you'll get someone who's doing a fan sub and like they'll say like and this word doesn't mean as harsh a word but I'm using it to get point the cross, the, uh, getting across the point. That is still happening to this day just FYI. The Sentai fan subs that I see they throw in like the word bastard like constantly and like every now and then it's harder than that and I'm like I really doubt I know that there's more extreme stuff happening here than in in Power Rangers which is fitting and I'll say in a minute why but yeah I don't think they're doing that yes of note there are two English dubs one far more readily available than the other these days on original release 
it's credited to Electric Media, Wally Burr Recording, and Kodansha slash Streamline. Uh, so that's, yeah, I don't know what's going on there with the four companies, but then a new version was done in 2001. The newer version, as Canada, we have Johnny Youngbosch, aka Adam, from Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, one of the greatest. However, both versions feature Power Rangers actors as, of all characters, Kauri, is voiced by Barbara Goodson, a.k.a. Mm-hmm. Rita Repulsa, the, the Shrieking Witch. Both versions also give you... Oh, she is also... Takashi. Takashi, Jesus, okay. Both versions also give you Metal Gear Solid actors, Cam Clark, a Liquid Snake. This is all absolute fucking mm-hmm. nonsense if you've gone into any of this nerdy shit. He, he is Canada in the original dub, and then you have Steve Bloom, who is in fucking everything animated, so that doesn't feel like that should be allowed to count, but he is one of the terrorists in the new one. I do think I've seen some fucking yes. atrocious dubs where you're trying to fit 900 words unnaturally in because what you know languages no, don't there work is one to one and what is a poignant snappy sentence becomes something that has to sound really awkward there we, is we, we both it, watched definitely. the the tim rogers video on how he would translate final <laughs> fantasy 7 oh yeah and he is constantly giving disclaimers like oh this is madness they shouldn't have done what i'm doing but this is the literal translation or the better yeah, but he's obviously talking through it and kind of like and like obviously a big issue in video games and obviously all of this is part and parcel like all of this japanese culture is being filtered through kind of like three main avenues and it is basically yeah. like martial arts it's animation and it's video games are kind of like the three main yes. thrusts of how japanese culture was disseminated into the west and like in yeah. video games there is just fundamentally less space yeah you've got text boxes yeah. back then and, and i mean these days it's all done with like AI lip flapping and stuff like that so they can literally just have the mouths move I mean the length of the scene itself yeah when, when Japanese kanji is like each character yeah. is a word and you have to like fit yes. in the same gist of a sentence within the same text box mm-hmm. like it true madness and a true yeah, underrated yeah, yeah. skill I mean again I, I don't know if I've mentioned it on this podcast but like one of my favourite bits of like Game of Thrones trivia is when mm. the translators of Game of Thrones found out what Hodor's name means and everyone had just assumed that Hodor was his name and wasn't going to be revealed and so like you have these countries having to like backtrack scramble to make it cute. <laughs> like how oh god it's actually a saying or whatever it is and like that genuinely one of the most impressive feats of like translation across the board and obviously some of those are tenuous and using mm. less common words to describe things but like truly the work of a translator must be like infuriating if there are these like limitations put upon you because you have to get the gist of it across in the same amount of time my hat is off to people that can work in translation people that can translate in real time as well like what the fuck the people that have to work at like the u.s oh, i mean I was, like I, like when i was at the london film festival recently uh park chan wook and um some of the actors came out mm. and it was like i've seen the interviews that bong joon ho was doing around parasite and obviously his translator was mm. doing some like incredible work that season i think everyone was kind of calling out her for being a true professional and kind of like a really interesting kind of like presence across all parasite press screenings it was really interesting to watch translators write down notes for what's being said whilst it's being said so that they can like kind of read the piece verbatim but like translate it into english whilst it was happening at this at the screening of decision to leave just the idea that like this is a learned skill and sometimes you do have to like quickly scribble down like what's being said so you can get it across in english yeah so i mean as i said like as dubs go i think this is one of the better ones it's probably why they redid it i don't know if i've seen the other dub every memory i have so many of these old dubs kind of go away especially when like they westernize stuff like i think people really rankle at the West 
That's mm. nice stuff that happens in some of this stuff. Oh, they redid Evangelion's audio track when it hit yeah. Netflix, didn't they? And people fucking hated it and were like seeking out the original dubs that were done a decade yeah, earlier. Yeah, and then, I mean, obviously, um, I thought it was <laughs> there's some fine, people who but... really hate, um, I'm just trying to think, like, the legendary story is that Weinstein got his hands on Princess Mononoke. And basically, and he was well known at that point for bastardizing Japanese movies and stuff like that and like making them different titles and like making them more appeal to like westerners and stuff like that and uh, the legend is is that Miyazaki sent Weinstein a samurai sword that had engraved in it no cuts <laughs> I do remember that yeah I mean I would say the key people are all decent in the dub children tend to be a lot worse and it's random bystanders that mm. are always terrible the people that have to like yell something loaded Probably out because they're not being scene. paid much or they're always not like awful. or whatever and they're just being like thrown in there like they're, they're, they're the animators having some fun it's like protesters and stuff who are like hey you're doing this and that means that and it's like okay like my favourite though was because I had the subs on as well the subtitle track is always the same subtitles from the Japanese you know the the, the English translation um, of, of the Japanese for the sub and the words are ever so slightly different between the dub and the sub and the most obviously jarring one there is the joke she cleared all the hurdles what's next the triathlon which becomes cleared the hump what's next the triathlon which makes <laughs> no fucking sense and it's the weirdest tiny little thing to switch hump, uh, you know, hurdles to hump, but I guess it fit the lip flaps better, so it breaks the joke. But yeah, in general, we have covered it both between us, so let's get into it. They put a tremendous amount of work into making the bike culture matter, so that when we, at the like one hour mark, or whatever it is, probably even beyond that, when Canada gets on Yama's bike and fucking drives it at a wall and blows it up to send it to him, it fucking yes. means something, man. <laughs> That's his hog. It is all of this, like you know, influences cyberpunk yeah, yeah. as a, as a as a culture, and and a million things spring out of this. But yeah, like the iconic, you know, the jacket, the bike itself, and like you know, to straight away have like Tetsuo trying to like admire his bike and he's like you couldn't fucking handle it it's, he, it's he is a, that it's fail a, it's son, a fantastic which we established characterization that happens so early in this movie is him yeah. sat on Canada's bike just kind of like really wanting mm. to get on with it and like if you were coming into it blind you'd think it was just like some street urchin but like then the way that they treat him again it's, it's all this kind of like great shorthand for all this stuff and and just going back going back yeah. to you saying that like they destroy the bike and all the rest of it one thing I really find fascinating about this movie which is an incredibly graphic no holds barred movie is the moments where they decide to hold back all feel like incredibly thought through and stuff like that i mean this is a movie in which a girl is like crushed within the like yes. hulking mass of a like glorified <laughs> fetus but like there are points where like the camera mm -hmm. will cut back or like a character's death won't be seen and like all of it is like implied like yeah. it's re again it, like it's really interesting piece of like the things that the movie leaves up to you to be implied are the things that kind of like impact yeah. you more it's kind of weirdly tetsuo's rampage is some of the least violent mm. stuff in terms of what you're actually seeing but it feels so vis like the, what i alluded to earlier when he's escaping from the hospital and it's just like there's three or there's like orderlies and security who are on him it's a shot from like the end of the corridor you can barely see them and one moment they're all standing next to him and the next moment he's painted the ceiling with them and there's no zoom in on it and it's just like a, you know the lights go out and there's a musical chime and that's it the most explicit violence yeah. is is like when it's person on person and like 
establishment on the populace and i guess there's that in the background of all of this as well that like there is the constant backdrop of people are protesting against the olympics there is general unrest in the populace there is martial law in effect every the cops the the security of everywhere the reform school they're sent to that's so much like police brutality and stuff like they line up the biker gang and punch them one after the other while yelling (laughs) discipline (laughs) like literally punch them in the face and they are left like walking away to their girlfriends like covered in bruises with like and it's like oh yeah one day we'll fight and it's like you just did and you got your fucking ass kicked man (laughs) but yeah all of that is sort of always bubbling away and there's like people yelling about capitalism and stuff and it maybe isn't quite it's another one where like it feels like with room to breathe that element probably works ever so how do we better, feel but... about because obviously this movie is a movie that is very politically minded but there is around the edges it definitely does feel like it's got the and obviously this is this is very recurrent in japanese media is the obsession with the militaristic honor and whatnot like when when the most mm. honourable... Oh, when the colonel like, does his, like, baby face turn yeah. halfway through and he <laughs> does his monologue to seize control of the state and he's still somehow that, that thing is like He is character. still fundamentally like, the most sympathetic <laughs> character in him when he leads a militaristic coup to overthrow the government. Shoots a guy for, like, giving orders and then, like, unleashes the army on a child. <laughs> or, you know, I guess they're meant to be teenagers. They, they call him a kid and, like, yeah, I don't know. But, like, they go into bars and, like, buying drugs. And, I mean, I know teenagers do that shit, but... Yeah, like you said, like, the, the, the violence in, like, the biker sections when you've got, like, people fucking clubbing each other with metal bars and, and when Tetsuo has his, his, his initial escape and he picks up Kaori... And he steals Canada's bike and he doesn't know how it, you know, the the prophecy came true. He couldn't handle it. And then they assault them and yep. they rip her shirt off and they punch her in the face and they punch her in the stomach. And they, they keep and, on giving, uh, they keep on really giving quite... close-ups of her like bruised and battered face afterwards as well, which is just like, oh, it's, yeah. that to me is probably yeah. the most viscerally upsetting thing in this movie. And then yeah, the fact yeah, that she yeah. dies ultimately. I know. <laughs> like, like genuinely the most put upon character in this movie like i don't this movie does well by its female characters no and like debatably better or worse than her origins as one of his concubines when he is like god emperor of japan in the manga who he then is like ah i actually like you he still crushes her to death by accident but i guess she gets slightly more here where like you know once they've done all their shit like you know and and they've they've been questioned by the police they've been little shitheads canada's like taken a shine to Kay and lied that she was with them to get them out all of this stuff all of their girlfriends or or like their fan club are like hanging off them they're all being horrible to them and then you got cowrie like genuinely like seemingly the only person genuinely upset by tetsuo's yep. absence kind of thing because yeah in the midst of all the chaos with the two rival bike gangs tetsuo is separated from the others and we we are cutting back and forth to like a man in a tra- you know clearly like a spy is smuggling a weird <laughs> little gray kid with a wrinkled face and, and being chased he is shooting dogs minus five stars and then he's gunned down in the street and the kid escapes and turns out the kid has psychic powers which he passes on or awakens yeah like everyone tetsuo, because tetsuo almost slams into him with the bike and he blows it up with esp like before it touches him and yeah they, they phrase it as like everyone has akira's power 
They're just and, yeah, and, they're just and like that's how like like obviously yeah. K becomes the central point of all of that ultimately in this movie. And yeah. Tetsuo is basically just this is what happens when it's wrong, and it almost feels like the point of this movie is like it's given to someone older than the kind of like obviously we, yeah. we meet kind of like four experiments throughout this movie it's like it's kyoku takashi masaru yeah, and, and akira are yeah. kind of the four who are around which is, i think it is 25 of it's 25 30. 26 27 28 <laughs> and then is tetsuo 31 yeah there were 30 originally he's a new subject yeah there were 30 kids i think explicitly and like again in the manga i think 19 actually got to live an adult life and becomes um What's her name? Madam yes. something. She leads like a like a cult. Well, not a cult, like a religion. Again, we see some of that here, where there are people who are worshipping Lord Akira, and they think Tetsuo is Akira. And to a generation of people who barely know what Akira is, he is Akira. It's one of those movies where it's named after, I don't want to say an unimportant character, because he's obviously incredibly important, but like, he's barely in it, and he's such a small, like, has such a small amount of screen time when he is. But he is the kind of, of the thing, plot instigator but... of this entire thing. I mean, the way yeah, this yeah, movie yeah, is yeah. kind of not structured but told reminds me mm. of Grant Morrison. In the... <laughs> Very fitting. Yeah, you're, <laughs> you're doing your, your Grant Morrison big read at the moment. But the way yes. that this movie sometimes feels like you're skipping over a few pages of kind of like context and stuff like that. There uh-huh. is that feeling in this movie. And obviously you'll yeah, you're... Well, stay on your toes a little bit and just yeah, go exactly. with it. And like, <laughs> and what, if you do let this movie suck over you, like it, it really does fucking work. And it also reminds me of, I mean, I just edited it for the release when we talked David Lynch for Blue Velvet and like how frustrated I was with like a complete lack of context. This I feel was a nice contrast because yeah, there's undoubtedly stuff where you're like, sorry, what? <laughs> But I get just enough from this by comparison that I can go with it. And that's what I'm talking about. And and I, I was terrified the entire time we were having that conversation. I came across as one of those people that I did complain about that like they need exposition on like literally one hundred percent of what's going on or they think it's trash. And I'm I'm not one of those people. But like yeah, I think you get just enough from this. And ultimately, a lot of it is kind of explained by the end of it. But for a significant period of time, it's just like, who are these weird alien yeah, like, great children? Is... <laughs> and yeah, you assume what they is are their like deal? aliens. Are they or like super old? Are they just young? They've apparently just been like aged yeah. at this point. Like, why has one of them decided to go with the others? Like, the characters have no. The, these characters have no internal thoughts. Really, mm. ultimately, it just becomes like they yeah. are trying to stop Tetsuo from doing another Akira. The yeah. first couple of scenes of these characters is. Is, is it Masaru who is... Masaru is the one in the chair, so, yeah. So he works with the... And you assume it's that thing where like they've recruited one of them to hunt the others, and it's like it's not actually really like that, because Kyoko is clearly emotionally attached on some level to the colonel and the doctor and stuff like that. But yeah, you got Kyoko who lives in a little glass bed because she's so frail and just possesses Kay and stuff like that from afar. Takashi is the the meekest one who was briefly But then also joins break. in with the other two in their like assassination attempt yeah. of Tetsuo after like after he's picked up <laughs> off the street after this this crash. Like yeah. they in a really horrifying sequence where he's like in the hospital bed they like <laughs> Badum no Badum yeah it's super fucked up the length that they draw that out of like the bear slowly creeping up over after he's chucked it on the floor and he's just lying in a haunting way because he's experiencing all the headaches and then the bear just slowly climbing up and then by the end of it like all these toys are enormous and trying to murder him and (laughs) and then they're like oh blood and then they're like you weirdo or you loser or 
<laughs> well, I think it's like you, you okay. wouldn't guess it was an assassination assassination attempt, more just like no. a hazing or something. And then it's like, oh no, they are trying to kill him. Yeah, they are definitely trying to kill him because he's, as you said, there is definitely the element of like he's acquired these powers too old, and that is an element you see come up in in sci-fi and fantasy and stuff. The like ultimate that. Anakin like, Skywalker you know, problem. A fucking Anakin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, you're too old, and thus you you won't be able to emotionally develop in 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 sequence with your powers. And the other thing is, like, Tetsu is clearly a very ang- angry young man with a lot of... I fucking hate saying trauma because it's overused, but, you know, he clearly has an inferiority complex and they treat him like he is their fail son. He is the one that they rag on. I mean, they clearly... They, li- they like the part him. he's missing is they would go to the yeah. ends of the earth for him still. He is their dude, but, like, all he's internalised is that they talk shit to him all the time and they always have to save him and he can't just stand up for himself. And, yeah, when he goes alone, they to come in and intervene and Canada's like running up the front of a bike to kick somebody in the fucking face and it rules and then once they've got it down to like one guy and all of them Tetsuo beats the shit out (laughs) and it's like some of the most violent stuff in the movie it's that I think is that like he has so much anger and he's expressing his power through that and the kids no matter what are generally good-natured and they never even apart from they try and fucking murk a guy in, in his hospital bed they generally never really use their powers for violent oh, and, it, and i think that's what's so interesting um, is that like the movie never really delves into what made akira do what akira does yeah. obviously like the whole thing is like akira blows up akira yeah. caused the giant explosion we see at the beginning and then but, it like, we don't know if that's to war and he is always presented as just a a pleasant young boy with a generally blank expression i think the manga makes it clear that like his powers have subsumed yes. his personality and he is just like a husk and then the power of friendship wakes him back up and he does what he does at the end and you get some of that here too with like Tetsuo's powers are like growing beyond the physical limits of his body and that's when he starts to become an enormous gross thing but yeah like and and you know he escapes he's brought back they try and kill him he fights his way to them and they they make a whole thing about how he's he's using his powers and they're very intent on controlling him it's like let's give him drugs let's keep him like locked up into this kind of thing and it's weird to be in a position where like that feels like the correct (laughs) thing to do and and you're like yeah drug the kid And yet, he devastates Tokyo in the end. But yeah, and like, in parallel, Canada has met back up with Kay, who is part of a resistance, the people that smuggled out Takashi in the first place, and like, through various hijinks, he's allowed to come on their little mission, and just like, what a wonderful coincidence that the new test subject they're trying to find is Tetsuo. So like, after some shenanigans of with sewers and little hover platforms, which again, when they're like, everyone keep quiet, and you just see a light, and like you, f- you see the like um, almost the Doppler effect of of the mm. water like going, but you don't even know what it fucking is. And then it sees them again, and it's just like a mobile gantry thing. And yeah, after all of their nonsense, and then um, Kyoko leads K to them, and they're all reunited. And it's just that classic thing of of like the wording, like Canada greets him, he's like, "Oh, I'm here to rescue you." And for a moment, you're like, "Oh, cool." And then it's like, "Hey, you fucking <laughs> idiot!" <laughs> and it's like, "Ah, oh, you were close." 
yeah, and then there's some beef, and off Tetsuo goes. He learns to fly. He does. And off he goes. Uh, he does make a quick stop at the bar to murder the bartender and one of the capsules. But, uh, yeah, he then grabs himself a little red cape. Just, just He's like, eh, I've got powers now. I should be a superhero, I figure. And, yeah, he's just it's rampaging It's so interesting off. that the entire crux of this movie, after a certain point, is basically race, race to Olympic, Olympic Stadium. Stadium. <laughs> like, we need to get to Akira first. But, like, why yes. does Kyoko release that information to Tetsuo. Um, like, like, doesn't she, like, make a comment about, like, how only Akira can I help guess. him? I guess, so basically, like, they want to get him to that place that he can... Because he can, Akira yeah, can overpower him. Is, but no is one is idea, aware, apart like... from the colonel, that, that Akira is inside this cryogenic thing, just being, like, dissected. Yeah, they've, like, completely dissected him, autopsied him to tiny bits to try and figure him out. A really weird scene when you know they finally get there and it's like oh here's 30 jars but yeah like the first hour is so dense with stuff happening moving between the capsules and tetsuo and the numbers and the colonel and the politicians and the secret council and all of this and like you know them having their parallel adventures that all converge and then the second hour is like it really moves yes. <laughs> like as they are just because i mean they've streamlined the plot it's race to olympic stadium and try and stop tetsuo and i neither of those i mean is a criticism i love the first hour the first hour is like absolutely filled with world building and, and, and i i definitely had a moment when i watched um, this movie when i was like like kind of like 15 16 years old or whatever old i was when i first watched it where the yeah. stuff that stuck in my mind is all the stuff when Tetsuo is in the Olympic Stadium and his arm has been cut off and he's yeah get to the powers and and, and get to the weird body horror shit. But that's only um, like a twenty minutes of the movie. Like it really isn't that much of is, the movie. Yeah. Like there is so much else going on, so much else politically, socially, yeah. thematically going on with this movie. But just for whatever reason, overwhelmingly the stuff that stuck in my mind is just yeah he's now got a metal arm that's going to be subsumed by fucking flesh <laughs> and he's going to be like absorbing and crushing and just he's like rampaging through Tokyo. People he's got an army of followers who think he is Lord Akira come to lead them all into a better age. The military are periodically trying to get him. He's blowing up tanks, all of this. They unleash their orbital laser. They've got these dope-ass laser guns as well in Canada. Gets hold of one and chases him with the bike and, you know, he does get a shot off on him a couple of times, but ultimately this orbital laser platform fires and it blows off his arm but he otherwise survives and then he flies into space to destroy the damn thing it's like oh that's a dramatic escalation of your powers but cool which is also um, great because obviously it's that moment of silence isn't it when like yeah. he steps on this thing and like just starts yeah. like there's no sound when you start seeing the explosions yes. on this thing and it's love people who know <laughs> that there's no sound in space and there's no inertia and nothing he realizes it almost seems involuntary. He's just absorbing metal and rubble and random shit around him and turns it into a into a robot arm, which then becomes a fleshy arm as it is absorbing more stuff and like there's wires sticking to the concrete throne he's made and or it, I guess it's, it's like he's built but... this kind of fake arm for himself and then his real arm is trying yeah. to regrow underneath this yeah. metal arm and he goes from like. Yeah, he's a normal boy, he's having headaches, he... I love the way he discovers his powers without even realising it. He's, like, reaching for water with his eyes closed, and then the glass slides to him, and he doesn't think anything of it. And then he, like, you know, he does his first kill and, and stuff like that, and he's he's struggling with it. And then he becomes so, like, 
crystal clear in focus in what he wants to do and for a while he's doing all right but he is in the background suffering from these like enormous headaches doesn't feel well at all he's medicating himself and the medication starts to wear off and then he's having a real bad time and that that sequence where like Cowery and the colonel approach him in the empty stadium that's where if you know the behind the scenes of like they hadn't finished it and like they're massively skipping out chunks of it it's like where you're jumping from like volume two to volume six kind of thing that's where you can mm-hmm. kind of tell because it's like it feels weird that you went from this giant battle where Tetsuo is standing alone over the rubble in this iconic shot and then it's just quiet time and like they're it, approaching him. Yeah, like it's, it's literally just like these three characters who have come to see him. It is just the Colonel, it is yeah. Kauri, and it is Canada because obviously they've left K and they've left mm. the other member of the of the capsules just kind of like chilling whilst he whilst he does the assault. Like there are other characters who are, are aware of what's going on, who are kind of like on the periphery, like the Doctor, who is obviously become way more obsessed with the ways in which Tetsuo is kind of like mirroring oh, he, Akira. Yeah, he's got this in an otherwise traditionally animated movie. He's got this CGI ring of light and sound that is like Akira's pattern versus Tetsuo's pattern, and like they are starting to sync more and more. And by the end of the movie, they are like one to one, and it's this giant ring that is going crazy. And he phrases it as "I'm seeing the birth of a new universe," basically. So implying, and when Canada and K are briefly locked up, Kyoko sort of possessing K and explaining as close to an explanation as exists of Akira and where these powers even come from. And there are all these musings about how, like, you know, sort of an idea of, like, a guiding hand of, like, innovation and energy and everything. And human intelligence is sort of, like, slightly guided. And, like, every now and then there's a massive leap. And she likens Tetsuo as, like, what if an amoeba got the power of a human? (laughs) And then Tetsuo is kind of that as he becomes this giant feta. Like, without his consent, almost, he is just absorbing yeah, I mean, and growing and he's like that's when he shifts from like i fucking hate you all and i'm trying to kill you all to like screaming for canada yeah obviously the the difference is is like these these experiments were kind of like raised from childhood to kind of like have these powers yeah. and the issue is they still have a human understanding of these powers even as they're kind of growing old and they reach mm-hmm. this point of enlightenment with their powers at a certain point obviously being human naturally yeah. there are elements that are going to fuck up and one of those is akira blowing up part of tokyo or like setting off world war three and then what you have on the flip side of it is is you have Tetsuo who's so fundamentally human getting these powers and yeah the amoeba thing of like just something unevolved having this so quickly and having so much self-doubt and and so many like psychological issues that are just damaging what could have been because like I have to assume that these kids like you kind of have to give them a happy stable life to be able to harness the powers well even if it's a human understanding of of what these powers should mean yeah like they are they are kept in the facility but all, all signs point to they are very well cared for they have a giant playroom and and as as i said like there does seem to be some attachment to their their jailers as it as it were and the resistance of just very or you know the free whatever you want to call them they have a very black and white view of it of like hey they're keeping kids locked up let's go get them and it's like arguably if you'd left all this well alone i mean <sighs> They're clearly trying to harness this power for nefarious reasons on some level, but, like, they are treating the kids generally pretty well, and then, like, them breaking Takashi out leads to this chain of events that, like, kills millions of people. It feels like they're more interested Um, in kind of keeping these three kids and studying them rather than creating more kids. Well, they're the three successful ones. They're the the, 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 successful ones, and obviously they've got 
Akira kind of like in the jars that they have to go keep on checking on <laughs> sporadically just kind of make sure that he hasn't like woken up or whatever it is that he's going to do but yeah like these three kids are obviously the successful ones that they want to keep and they but they're not attempting more like Tetsu is the first new one presumably since 2019 or not 2019 yeah. since 1988 well yeah like the, I think the manga re- explicitly says that like the kids have aged chronologically and wrinkled and their skin has greyed but their physical size has remained the same and it is again tied to the powers and the body being in sync kind of thing where like the powers have not allowed them to grow bigger than than they did when they had their moment of enlightenment or whatever whereas you know Tetsuo is is you know he's raging hormones and everything and he's he's learning to control these abilities and he's becoming a giant blob and I forgot to say actually um when they're having their like regroup session when Canada is like, they're like dismantling parts of bikes <laughs> to fix the guns that have run out of, of juice. And one of them makes the comment like, well, why don't we use your bike, Canada? And he's like, well, no, don't be stupid. My one rules. Yeah. I like that little moment. I mean, but, um... How do we feel? Because obviously, I mean, like the the thing I kept coming back to watching this, and I, I, I don't think they are twinned in any like significant way other than probably one being influenced by the other but like the youth element in things like this and and Ava that kind of like powers across like there is definitely a Japanese psychological kind of like undercurrent in the culture around young people being used for nefarious deeds or like it's kind of hard like like again like young people who are restless and feel with untethered being utilized to kind of negative effect within the culture whether or not that be like science experiments or whether or not they be child soldiers in Evangelion yeah and it also I I think also this movie has that other level of like it is a story of rebellion and like you know rebellious youth and and railing against establishment and everything like that and so you've got it kind of from two different angles here but yeah like the (laughs) the concept of like the special child who is who is being used as a war weapon or whatever or wants to be used as a war weapon by them is definitely rife here and then you've got Canada and the rebels and, and all that sort of stuff and Tetsuo like is the element that meets in the middle he is like an angry young rebellious man or you know teenager who is acquiring the, these powers but his childishness is revealed in this ending when he is just like pleading for his life as they descend into yelling each other's names I don't want to blow the mic out but yeah <laughs> I mean, I think in the in the culture of this podcast, I am Tetsuo yeah. and you are you are Canada. <laughs> I like that. I'd like a sick ass <laughs> motorbike. Oh, late breaking news: there are two Power Rangers in this fucking movie. Atricia Jali, aka Cassie, is one of the they're they're credited as groupies. The the ladies that are like fussing on them when they. Uh, I like all, to think that you've just been going through everything. them all one by one, clicking on the names, and you don't actually know the power. <laughs> no, I recognised it immediately. I just didn't scroll far enough down before in the in the cast list. So yeah, the the current dub has two power and just the original has one. Therefore, you've got to watch this version. That's in Canada and everything. Why is um, one their first name and the other their surname? Because they don't want to. I feel there's a conscious effort with the. Well, I guess they're yelling it in in Japanese too, but like definitely the dub tries to de-Japanese it a little bit. Like they never tell you Canada's first name, and and like the Colonel is just the Colonel, not Shikishima. 
but then Tetsuoshima. I honestly don't it's, know. It's just, um, I don't know what it is. Like, where, like Maybe it is just like the cultural thing where like some people, especially when you're in school, your surname is the name that you get kind of pinned yeah, with or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And I always, I never know like if they've already reversed it for me and I'm like then turning it back or like I need to reverse it when I'm like, oh, so Shotaro is his family name and his name is Canada. And it's like, well, maybe they're, they've already swapped it and his first, you know. But yeah, there there is that element for sure. But yeah, um, he starts to absorb everyone. Canada gets to live. Kaori gets crushed in the folds of his, his blobness. And then um, Akira. And then just, the kids reform Akira or reawaken him or however they phrase it. It's in because Tetsuo is receiving visions from Akira throughout the movie. So clearly, even though he's in all these jars, some element of Akira lives. And maybe the implication is he exists on a psychic plane that the kids can reach and no one well, else can. That, that's whatever. kind of where yeah, the movie he, ends up, isn't it? Is where basically, like, yeah. they, they reform Akira and basically Akira does what he did the first time again. And explicitly mm-hmm. this time to absorb tetsuo into my reading on it is is what like a, is a, a separate dimension a separate universe or or how would you want to say i think that is the um yeah, the yeah. official reading is as they formed and and like as a, sorry i was getting at like you know right, where right, right, right. comes from and, and like what he is but like there is a strong implication that like he is wielding the energy of the big yes. bang essentially but on a smaller scale so he can create yeah, which is why the doctor is like i saw the creation of the universe and yeah, basically they just exactly. he just wants to lock tetsuo into this but canada refuses to like leave his friend behind and like leave him even though they've been shooting mm-hmm. each other with lasers and like trying to absorb each other very recently yeah and i actually really like that element that it goes from like these kids trying to fucking murder each other to like it's just a simple two friends yelling each other's names and like tetsuo is like please help me canada like and even when they're fighting like Tetsuo, like, can clearly murder people very easily. He clearly holds back with Canada on some level, consciously or subconsciously. Because, like, you know, you see him just, like, fucking murk random bystanders. And then he's, like, just sort of making earthquakes near Canada kind of thing. And I don't know what the preferred reading is if, like, subconsciously he just still sees Canada as, like, this surrogate big brother and, like, just does not want to hurt him or has deference to him or if he is deliberately holding back to be, like, hey, just fucking calm down. But Canada sure is yeah. shooting at him with a gun. At the- <laughs> he fucking shoots a hole in his chest, I think, that yeah. just doesn't and then, kill him. And then when he creates um, this, like, huge big bang, the, the other experiments or the other espers decide to go in. The numbers... Yeah decide to go in to kind of like pull him out well they i like that they rescue yes. the colonel first they're like oh wait in this tunnel you'll be fine from a <laughs> nuclear explosion and also like how k survives and stuff like that but i think takashi wants to go in because he's like none of this is canada's fault yeah. this sucks for him he's been subsumed into a parallel void and probably will die and the others are like oh, we'll never know. get to come back out like, of there yeah if we go in we can't come out but we could probably get him out and they're like, okay, fine. And we just, yeah, we go into this white void and you get a soup of all of their memories yeah. kind of thing. Like some very see, vital you... information is given to you in like the last five minutes. <laughs> in the last minute. Yeah, so you see like Canada and Tetsuo bonding in an orphanage or, or whatever Their it first is. memory together um, when they're like both beaten up because they're new in this, in this kind of like care home. Yeah. Canada like retrieving his toy that ostensibly some bullies like stole from him and then you see the numbers fucking bust in by by this shadow organization to this facility and what will become well I mean he's still called Masaru but while they're still looking very human 
Masara wanders into Akira's room and for whatever reason they're the three with the most potential or maybe Masaru like in the same way that like Takashi passed powers or awoke powers in Tetsuo maybe just contact with Akira awoke his powers because uh, they're all strapped to tables and you know you can infer that experiments yeah. were done on them and, and all this stuff and yeah like eventually Canada is sent back and they tell him they tell him that um, Akira's going to take Tetsuo away and they don't finish their thought but they're like maybe one day and I guess it's going to be we can bring him back or we can all come back or we'll all yeah, be together and K again, is the but... key to like whatever this next step of human evolution is yeah just a massive bombshell to drop there that like K's powers are awakening and like I think the manga makes it clear she has no latent power she is just a medium for mm. Kyoko whereas I think the movie is trying to imply Kay has actual powers that are awakening yeah. of her own. And they just sort of gloss over that. And, like, Kay has, like, fallen for Canada along Because early on, he is, like, full-on like, harassing the, her. The, 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 the like, classic okay, Japanese thing of just, like, if I say this enough times, it's going to happen. Like, the fact that, like, he meets her once and is just like, yeah, I mean, like, you're my girlfriend now, right? Like, I'm your boyfriend. Yeah, he's like, well, boyfriend would be a stretch, however. And I was like, no, not however. You haven't had a conversation <laughs> with this person. You called her a bitch ten minutes ago. <laughs> Because she was like, go away. But by the end of it, she's like wearing his jacket. And again, the missing context is that like they've spent a lot more time together in the manga and like, you know, all of that. But yeah, it's it's a cute moment that like, you know, he, he goes down to the t-shirt and gloves look, which is weirdly badass, and she's wearing his jacket. And yeah, we end with like, you know, we go to the white void again and then just like space. And then Tetsuo in a much calmer, more adult voice is like, I am Tetsuo. Introducing and, himself to this yeah, new universe yeah. almost. Yes, exactly. So, that's it. I mean, it's a very, like, here's us explaining the plot of the movie kind of thing. But, like, yeah, it's just so... I think it's one. It's triumphant legacy is that, like, it is such The a, imagery is indelible in this entire movie. Yeah, like, I think it, that's... I think, I think there's a specificity to it. Like, a power of specificity, like a vision from Otomo that he knew exactly what he was doing. And, like, I think that's why Neo Tokyo and the capsules and everything do become such a, like, ripped-off thing or homaged thing is, like, it's a clear vision of a cult, an entire culture. Yeah, I mean, it's something that I do really appreciate in... Especially in kind of like the the, the top levels of Japanese animation, or even Japanese culture, when we're looking at kind of like the the things that are generally held up as the all time greats. I'm talking like this Ghost in the Shell, Cowboy Bebop, Evangelion, like Metal Gear Solid. Mm-hmm. All of these things they very much feel like the creative output of a single person. Like there is so much personality exactly. and stuff, and it's all auteur theory yeah, at yeah. large. And, and then you get and to like... things where like sometimes it's disseminated through multiple levels of different people and stuff like that. But it definitely does feel in this kind of like stretch now. I'm, I can't speak for kind of like where animation is in Japan ultimately and stuff like that. But like there, there was definitely an impulse to give strong creative voices the ability to express themselves, which is really refreshing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They've been threatening to make a live action Western version of this for like fucking forever. It's been through so many directors, rumored ones like well, ta- ta- including ta- Taika Waititi, Peele, including Taika Waititi was signed on. Um, I still don't think that's. No. Taika is, Taika is like but... the worst choice for this thing. He was supposed to film like 2019, yeah. but instead did Thor: Love and Thunder instead, and is now did he did he do that? Movie? <laughs> and is now like ramping up to film a Star Wars movie. Isn't Leonardo DiCaprio like involved maybe, in it maybe. somehow? Like he's been the producer on it for a long time. Like I guess he saw Akira and was like, "That's fucking dope." Yeah, but yeah, I mean, the fear is, I mean, the, there are many fears, but you know, the Otomo was given the director chair and script 
control and everything in the first place is like a happy surprise almost because like you can see it going the other way and like someone taking his thing and changing the meaning and you know taking massive liberties but like yeah there is just a a power of of vision that is coming from this and it, it arrives fully formed there is a whole subculture there are rules to how all this shit works and dozens and dozens and dozens of iconic shots and sequences and and as 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 i said at the top of the damn thing as we as we close out like the music is incredible and then there's the sound mixing in general and knowing how to wield silence effectively yeah just a towering work and incredible that they were able yeah. to even i mean again it. i mean i was gonna say um, like comparing the comparing this to where western animation was up to this point where like you <laughs> look at the disney movies and yes there is like definite authorship on this but like it's a lot more kind of like spread among a group like obviously like, like here's the here's the old men of disney and all the rest of it and and how many of those movies are, are like credited to one person but it was kind of more of like everyone got a sequence or a character and and you would animate uh in that fashion whereas yeah. this definitely does feel like holistically the work of someone who is like creating a team and obviously you've got people like Makito Futaki who is like one of the great Ghibli key animators like worked on Totoro and Kiki's and yeah. Only Yesterday like basically everyone every one of the great Ghibli movies ever yeah. worked on this movie yeah and it's it's a difficult thing because i think a lot of it comes with like not very nice stories can come out about some of these people arno in particular said to be a horrible man i'm not saying that like otomo is is bad but like there is a toxicity that goes with it and like i mean we've all seen those he's creating the manga like literally all day every day and then he's going to the studio on no sleep to work on the movie and yeah there have been schedules that have come out of like the typical life of a manga writer and and we're talking like three hours scheduled for sleep kind of thing and like one hour a and, week it, and it's why so often time. nowadays that like quite often it's rare i feel to see a writer artist on a on a manga whereas yes. like that you that was the thing for so long. Yeah, yeah yeah but now like even yeah. even uh toriyama who does dragon ball is not drawing the dragon ball manga that is being done by by someone else even yeah. if he is still the the creative force on that book yeah and by the time when the movie ramps up Atama has hired two assistants to help him with the manga which is you know he's still expected to generate pages every single week while he's making this giant fucking movie and yeah he's, he's rolling into the studio with no sleep and then overseeing it all and like you know there are there are some elements here of like you know is the art worth the, I mean, you, the struggle you've, you've got things, and all of that yeah but that's a got much things like, i mean kentaro mura who does or who, who was the the writer artist on berserk which obviously held as one of the great manga of all time <laughs> died last year and yes, and obviously that was like berserk is seen as one of the great unfinished pieces of anger and like there was genuine debate among yeah. his studio of like do we finish this can we uphold the legacy of this yeah. piece of work and like you you do have to kind of like figure out like what are we doing here are we actually going to finish the story of such a unique a unique creator or are we going to to let this die and yeah. and so much like toxicity around like you know like what led mm. to his death and 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 you know the messages of 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 the work itself and depression and yeah it's a it's a far bigger topic no, than absolutely we have not. time for or, or or probably fully equipped for but uh yeah that's akira akira rules it's not a movie that like you know i watch every year but like every few years I, i'm like right it's time to watch akira again and every time it just rocks my world and as i said at the top to this day 
some of that animation is so fucking mm-hmm. smooth and it doesn't age because it's like so finely crafted and there are things being spat out by computers now that like look like shit within six months kind of thing because of the method that they use but like yeah just the towering work it's incredible that it it kind of seems like production was relatively <laughs> smooth even though i'm sure it was difficult like it's not like it took eight years to make I mean, or anything I'm, I'm like trying that. To, i was trying um, to find out because obviously they talk about like how many images they were drawing for this but i was trying to figure out like is this done at like a higher rate of of images than that anime normally mm-hmm. is because obviously that's the whole deal with with the new miyazaki movie that is still scheduled to come out next year is i think they said they want to do 60 frames per second for that movie okay oh, but like but like but properly animated <laughs> as in like but like, with intent like yeah, they've yeah, drawn the 60 they've drawn 60 images they've said like every minute of this movie takes us a month to create yeah oh god man and people are just gonna watch that I'm like, oh, that was okay <laughs> i think they like made a point of building a giant team and financing it when they were making akira is the thing like they gave them the money they needed they gave them the resources they needed but yeah it paid off because of fucking rules and like yeah i i vividly remember as a teenager like people passing around this kid's got Akira you know like like the VHS and like the power of it on home theatre can't be understated either uh, home, home release even because it according to what I'm looking at it made 49 million dollars box office I don't know no 49 is kind that, of like the exception number obviously a lot of yeah. the issue we've got is a lot of the websites that we use are western focused and so they're going to give us a <laughs> suppressed number because it's like this movie came out in yeah. American theatres in 1991 and was given like a, a, a very tiny release and like 49 is probably kind of like a combination of how much it made in in Japan and then what it made in other territories outside of that but it, I mean so much box of supporting especially yeah. when it comes to foreign movies is going to be massively underreported because we don't have the native yeah. records for their home countries yeah um, but it, it, it makes an alleged 80 million in home video sales and like who knows when that was tracked because like it surely is still making money to this day and i think there were reports it was at the time the most expensive animation ever made but one of the producers refuted it so i don't know all i know is it rules and i guess it's fitting to be the only animation on our list even if there were many other worthy candidates to be on here it is our one and only but we will be returning to live action next week don't worry guys you don't have to this isn't the weed <laughs> podcast now we're getting into very serious business it's die hard baby inevitable i think with the 80s and you know fitting as we approach the christmas season kind of because it is a christmas movie definitively happens on christmas eve at a christmas party what the fuck I mean, it will yeah. it will be so posting the very last day of november so i think we've timed it oh fuck okay well we're kicking off the christmas season there you go with die hard yeah i'm excited for the discourse (laughs) around die hard next week do i watch every Um, die hard movie no no don't do that that sounds that sounds like you and i know watch every die hard movie none of them are real sequels like they're all just movies that were later just yeah there is only one true die hard movie (laughs) five five is the only one that was written to be a die hard movie from the very beginning more on that next week much much more i'll crack out dan Harmon's circle theory and everything right but that is then this is now and all that remains in the wasteland of neo podcast studio and after akira nuked it is one question and that is benjamin yes Will but I first i have to become a giant flesh monster and completely subsume this podcast uh, so it can create a new universe bye bye everyone <laughs>